0: Hello, robots, and welcome to today's episode of Remedial Studies. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about a poetry collection called The Princess Saves Herself in this one by Amanda Lovelace. Uh, The takes are coming in hot. That is all I'm going to say for this episode. But unlike last episode, Hannah, we're not going to have a, a half hour long summary because there is not actually that much to summarize about this book.
1: I know, it's amazing, we can't, maybe we should do poetry every time. This is essentially a memoir in verse, kind of about the author Amanda Lovelace's early years, basically coming of age and all the things that she dealt with. There's a ton of trigger warnings in the cover, but it essentially covers, like, she had a kind of abusive relationship with her mother, and then she got into abusive relationship with a guy because she you know you don't she didn't know what she was doing uh, and it seemed better than the abusive home situation and then people died and she had to deal with all of this stuff and basically it's about her coming into her own as a woman and how she got through all of the traumatic things that happened to her and you know we had a lot of thoughts and feelings on this one
0: yeah yeah, we did, which I honestly didn't expect. Not because I really had any preconceived notions about the book. Like, I'd heard of it, I had seen the collection, usually sitting next to Milk and Honey, which we'll talk about probably at some point in this episode. I'm glad, in a way, I had time to process. I finished this book like three days ago, and we're here now. I'm just angry. I'm so angry because in, in that time as we, we have started to research, the big, the big question that every, that seems to come out that no one is actually asking, but that people are, are answering with belittling and sexism, uh, is what do we look for in poetry and how, do our, how does our opinion of that and the forms that we expect that, that, that art to, to uh, manifest in, how does that inform our opinions of content? 'Cause that's I think the closest relationship we can we can kind of see is is how it's almost more interesting and more appropriate to talk about how this book is received almost before we go into the stuff that Lovelace actually does. Because the two really kind of inform each other.
1: Yeah. So I think the thing that comes up the most with this book is the short lines. And people don't like the short lines. And a lot of the time they also feel like it's lacking something but they're not really clear on what it's lacking i've also seen people call it childish which i think is shorthand for simple but
0: <laughs> yeah i th- that to me yeah i i think i think that's a good call which is really frustrating like like i'm going to i'm going to be upfront i didn't particularly care for this book but there is a difference between this style is not something i care for and this is ruining poetry as a genre which is the leap some people wow it it which which is an insanity to me like one single person or style is going to ruin everything that's not how art works that's not how culture works but pop off i guess The big complaint I see about her style goes to what you were saying. They think it's simple in that people are routinely like, oh, pressing enter after every word doesn't make it a poem. But, like, there's a Wikipedia page for the genre that this belongs to, which if you, if a Wikipedia page isn't a sign of legitimacy, I don't know what is. It's um, referred to as insta-poetry because apparently it's very popular on the gram. But it's kind of characterized by, it. it's for bite-sized, it's simple in a way that I think has been twisted to be quite derogatory, usually by saying it's childish, like you said. I've, I've heard some people refer to it as hollow, which I think kind of le- informs what, what you were saying, how there's a lot of people, and I almost kind of felt this way a little bit, they, they feel it's missing something, but it's really hard to articulate what that something is, however. Which I think is, is in a way kind of revealing of the motivations of a lot of people that make that argument. You know, listeners, we've talked about this. I have not only a bachelor's degree, I now have a master's degree in English. I feel qualified to discuss conventions and form. <laughs> it's, it is the whole idea that you, the only thing that makes poetry is the format it is delivered in is an argument. That has been made for literal centuries against people that are not, you know what I'm going to say? It. They're not white guys. I wrote a whole fucking thesis about Claude McKay and how he has given shit his whole life because he wasn't writing the way white people said, said, said he should write. And then he was like, okay, I'm going to put all the shit that I deal with as a black man in, I think Jamaica was still a French colony at the time. And I'm going to put it in these like old sonnet-y forms that you recognize and revere all the time. And then you'll listen to me. Did they listen to him? No. Because <laughs> why would they? But it's it it's the whole thing of like prescriptivism just hides another underlying motivation for why you want to shit on somebody. And And I think as much as I – we've talked about this a lot, Hannah, this is – phrase you mention a lot every book has its reader yes and i don't necessarily believe i was this book's reader but there is acknowledging that and there is belittling and basically yeah basically just belittling this this person who went through this arduous process of writing shit and getting it published which is hard and now, now people want to say it's too simple or it's too easy or it's not real. And that seems to be a lot of the thing, thing that people fall back on, which might be inter- interesting to talk about, is people ha- seem to have a very sturdy idea of what real poetry is, but they can't articulate it. And I don't think I could, to be fair. Like, maybe it's like, what's that old phrase? It's about pornography, but it's like, you know right. it when you see it.
1: <laughs> Obscenity. Obscenity trial. Obscenity,
0: thank you. You know it when you see it. But it's, it, it, I feel like my stutter is really bad at it because I'm getting so pissed off. But like, it, it's a whole thing about why we value what we value in art and what other factors can be contributing to that is every person who doesn't like this book a sexist sack of shit probably not i mean statistically probably not but i i do think that is a large part of not just i not just like negativity i think a lot of people can be negative to things that they just personally don't like but there's like some weird vitriolic cabal against this kind of style of poetry that that to me In my experience of studying art and also seeing people shit on things other people like, because I've been on the internet since I was but a wee, but a wee lass, it's at some point I don't think it's necessarily about just the poetry. Or it is, but that's really about something else.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that I think this is the natural progression of the form in the current time and in the and in mm-hmm. the space of social media. like we're no longer coded to do the long form in especially in like like no one sits on their phone. I mean, I do, but I don't count. <laughs> like no one is sitting on their phone and looking at, like, a novel-length Instagram post. You are skipping that. You are, you are leaving it minimized. But you might be looking at, like, you know, those things that we have on our page, which are, like, a color background and some nice text and, like, a snippet of something very, you know, pithy and smart or whatever. And I think that's where the form is going, and that's what these poems really are. And I think they really speak to like someone younger than us, and and we talked a little bit about that before we got the show going. Is that Amanda Lovelace has a lot in common with us? Like we're very, yeah. we're very similar to Amanda Lovelace. We grew up in early Tumblr culture, or I guess we we came of age in early Tumblr culture. We're the Harry Potter generation. We are young white women, so it's very. It's a very real and sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable looking at reading these poems and seeing things about yourself that you aren't ready to be as earnest about as Amanda Lovelace is. So I think there's like a quality of secondhand embarrassment sometimes of like this is me and this is how I felt when I was 19. Cuz she wrote these very young.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I think it kind of clicked for me I was like, "Oh, me and this person are probably a fairly similar age is I was reading through that. I couldn't tell you what poem it was, but I was like reading through it. And I'm like, I bet this, I bet Amanda Lovelace has, has a fanfiction.net account. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I bet she's published on there. I bet, I will bet real actual American dollars. Amanda Lovelace has an AO3 account. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, but it's the whole thing where I, I totally agree with you. I think especially like. About halfway through the collection and going forward, I was like, "Oh, this is me. This is me. I'm in this photo, and I don't like it." Because <laughs> it is, in a way, in a way, it's 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 embarrassing. But in the way that it's it's embarrassing to feel exposed in that in that way, because I think it almost is a kind of exposure seeing. A part of yourself that you've all, like I don't I don't know about everyone else, but I I kept fairly private. Mm-hmm. And seeing another person kind of just like put it out there, that that in a way is a bit it, it's it's even if it's embarrassing might not be the best word for it, but there's something about it that made me like unironically cringe, where I was like oh that's your girl, <laughs> and and I think in some ways that that can kind of put people on the defensive. Either because you want to distance yourself from that, and I kind of was that person for a while, like almost like stuff, all the reading, all the stuff. She, she references Harry Potter a lot, like she, it's it's in the dedication, which was actually one of my favorite poems in the in the collection, was the dedication, which is too like the character Harry Potter. It ended up being kind of poignant for me that that was almost a through line throughout some of the poems, was because you bitch thought she was over it. i like grew up with harry potter my mom read me the books and the last movie came out the year i graduated high school and this past summer it is still summer but like last month when i went when i went on vacation when i was when you did not have this beautiful voice in your ears for about a month i went to universal studios and i went to harry potter world and i remember like this i'm gonna remember this shit for the rest of my life I remember walking in there and seeing, like, down Diagon Alley for the first time. I w- it was like I was 12. <laughs> it was literally like I had my entire being astral projected to 2005. And it, I was just in it. I was in it again. And I'm kind of glad I had that experience because it helped me be a little more compassionate to somebody who, who clearly has never left that headspace. And and I don't want to talk about leaving headspace as if staying or leaving are in and of themselves positive or negative because I don't think that's that's the case at all.
1: Yeah, there's no value judgment there. It's neither here nor there.
0: Yeah, exactly exactly. Like as much as I'm kind of ranting and raving about about people, I I really think value judgments on stuff like that are are ultimately more a reflection on the person who's judging than the person they they are judging. Not just about poetry, but about, oh, so many things. A thing I, I, I think is interesting about a comment you made of, about how now we're we're naturally progressing the form of poetry is I saw, I don't really want to call out this person, mostly because I don't have the link anymore, but also because, like, I, all, I don't like people being mad at me on the internet. There was a, 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 I think he was an older man. When I say old, well I say older, he was probably in his, like, 40s but he he it was kind of a similar thing of someone bemoaning the death of poetry because of like Instagram <laughs> and I'm just like my guy it's it's not someone else's fault they're doing it differently than you cuz really I I think that's all it is 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 people taking advantage of a platform and having their art in a form that suits that platform. Yeah. Like like you said, I will fucking scroll past any goddamn long post on Instagram, on Tumblr. I don't have fucking time for your Twitter thread. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. And the fact that there's people out there who are taking advantage of it, obviously in an advantageous way, because Amanda Lovelace is published now. I think she's self-published at first, but it got picked up, clearly. And and the fact that there's people that are just so mad about that they're so mad and at some point it's not about the poetry and and that kind of leads into something i wanted to talk about hopefully very briefly because i know we have a lot to talk about it feels weird that we're at like this time stamp because we had like a two minute summary (laughs) Um, but it's A thing I wanted to talk about, I don't remember if this is a phrase that has just percolated in my brain or if it's a real thing people have talked about, but it's the crime of female mediocrity. And what I mean by that is, in my own personal experience, I have seen women, especially women who write, women who do art, women who do anything, are usually judged much more harshly than a male counterpart not always, not in every, everything ever, but I think that is something that is not unheard of in a lot of, on a lot of mediums, and I think that is especially prominent in something that in many genres was very male-dominated, like literature and poetry can be. It reminds me, this is kind of a separate idea, but it kind of reminds me of this was many years ago. Um, the Fault in Our Stars had just been published. I think it was 2012. And people were like hailing John Green as like the savior of YA literature. And John Green himself was like, okay, but what about Suzanne Collins? <laughs> Fuck, what about Stephanie Meyer? Like, you can think what you want about Twilight. That shit and The Hunger Games legitimized YA lit. Like, that. I w- in this essay, I will. like It's, <laughs> it, it's a whole thing because that book was so successful and I don't think I don't think anybody wanted to take anything from John Green's success on that cuz I that book made me cry like a bitch but it's it's a whole thing of how easily and how harshly something can be judged because of the gender of its creator did you did you have a story Hannah am I remembering that yeah correctly? so this
1: is an interesting this is just a story. It doesn't really prove your point or anything like that. <laughs> uh, it actually does the opposite. But I just, I think it's a fun... No, you good. I think it's a fun story. So I found out that someone I went to college with was, I'm pretty sure, self-publishing poetry. And the first poetry collection he did, I'm not going to tell you the title of it or the name of the author... I feel a desire to protect this poor young man. Oh, no. But it was very, uh, like, whiskey and roses and cigarettes, like, very... Like, was the imagery on the cover and on some of the inside, inside pages. And, you know, some people on the internet found it and were like, look at this white guy, Bukowski wannabe, up in here thinking that he can just write poetry and i thought that was such a toxic attitude
0: that's a horrible thing so to say. i i'm
1: not we're not saying that <laughs> you can do, you can yeah. do that if you want and we will support you and love you and be proud of you for putting art out in the world end of story
0: yeah for real like like making things is 100% harder than not making them so if you do that like you're a goddamn hero
1: and he was also self publishing So it's not like, yeah, (laughs) it's not like he was taking away opportunities from someone else, which is also, I think, a Mm -hmm. fallacy, but I don't, I don't know that we really have.
0: (laughs) We don't have time to get into that. That's probably a whole other episode. (laughs) But yeah, that's, uh, you mentioned Bukowski, which I thought was interesting because I, uh, uh, me and Chuck don't get on and, um, it's, it's interesting to me because in my experience of his poetry the form is very similar <laughs> to stuff uh that like amanda lovelace and rupee Kaur write. that's just my take um I, and some of it may come from i i i my experience with poetry a lot of it is largely academic and all of the people who have taught me poetry have been uh white dudes actually no that's a lie one of them he was still a dude he was not white but it's, it's a whole thing where I talk about the canon, sometimes literary canon. I did a whole project on it for my degree. It, it's the whole thing of of viewing the canon as this static thing that can't be changed when that is just like not true. We've been adding to it. I would hope people have been adding to it since more art keeps coming out. Uh, when we talk about the canon, there's always that question... That is almost being debated in a lot of the discussion people have about this collection and collections like it, like 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 milk and honey, is okay, does this count? Does this count as poetry? Does this count as art? Does this count as literature? Is this worth studying? And in, in academia, those those judgment calls can have very varied effects. Um, but I think now that we're in this connected age. These conversations are being had at a fucking million miles an hour on the internet in real time. Especially because it's a style that's so associated with a specific media platform. And anybody who has an internet connection can can publish on the internet, essentially. So many people are kind of throwing their hats in the ring on it. And in some ways, I think that's a good thing. I think for a lot of media that, that that's a good thing. But it can also, I think, create a bunch of echo chambers which is not really great <laughs> for any conversation to, to be had because in my admittedly minimal research into what people actually had to say about about the book it's very polarizing there were a lot of people who really really liked it um for their own reasons and there's a lot of people who really didn't like it and and that's fine it, it, it's just so interesting to me that it was like, like there's no bell curve. <laughs> it's like an inverted bell curve. I, I guess when I was kind of reading it, it didn't surprise me at the end mm. that that, that was something that would happen. It didn't remind me of Tumblr. I'm going to be real. It did remind me of Tumblr in a way that wasn't really positive or negative. I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's how, that's how people do. Cause Tumblr is also like, I skip past long posts on that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be here for that. You want something that looks pretty in the quote format. If you want people to reblog yep. it, like that's that's just that's, that's just the game, baby. I think what what chord this is this is obviously very very harshly struck with me is that it does kind of tap into the conversation of artistic le- legitimacy and I think even more than that, another conversation that makes me very angry. Um, artistic authenticity. Because that was something, the article (laughs) I mentioned before, that was something that was his big gripe, was it's not authentic. What the fuck does that mean?
1: Have you even read The Man in the High Castle? Can you please do that and then write me a book report and we'll talk about it then? But I can't, I can't deal with you right now. Oh my god.
0: And and I think that in particular struck me as something that is quite gendered. We've talked about that briefly. If I remember correctly, we talked about it way back in the day on the Taylor Swift episode. There, there was the whole thing. Reputation had just come out because there's the conversation. Weirdly enough, I saw this on a Tumblr post the other day where people were talking about her new song because everyone talks about Taylor Swift and she, a person was talking about the real taylor swift. And and they they weren't talking in literal terms. They weren't talking as like, "Oh, who is Taylor Swift really?" They were talking <laughs> about a sound. I I thought the word choice of, "Oh, this is the real insert artist here. Well, the real Slim Shady, please stand up." <laughs> it was interesting to me because they clearly didn't they didn't mean that her new music was bad. They just thought it wasn't as authentic we had that whole conversation with, I mean, Lady Gaga's always had that as part of her career. So many people that we, we will not have time to name, but it, it is something that I, that I think, even if it doesn't necessarily begin with that, can become a conversation that hinges on gender. And it is something that, in my experience, male authors, in, in particular, are not as, as subject to.
1: Yeah, it's like women are performing and men just are, and that is not
0: yes, fair. Precisely, male fantasies, male fantasies. Say it three times. She appears in the mirror. Like it's it, it's the whole thing. It is the whole thing. You just you hit it so right. Women are permanent acts of performance art.
1: <laughs> ugh, ugh. I don't. I don't want to be here. Yeah, um. let's
0: move on. Um, a thing I want to talk about that might that might leapfrog off of that fairly well is is a big thing because of the title The Princess Saves Herself in this one. Lovelace uses a lot of very archetypal language to talk about herself and in some ways the reader. That's something that I've always have found very interesting is the idea um women I think especially do this in terms of like royal titles. The idea that you can claim something um like like an art like an archetype like a princess a queen a damsel uh there's talk of dragons here there be dragons in this collection and and i found myself wondering over the course of the collection what 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 purpose it it was serving and i think part of the answer that i i came to is that in some ways it's a way to translate very complex very complicated inner world emotions you can have about yourself into something that is fairly simple to relate to and to understand because like weirdly enough i was reading i think volume five of the sandman today and there's a whole scene at the end where uh, barbie the main character of the collection is talking about how everyone around her including herself has this huge inner world no matter how boring they look on the outside Everybody has this intense, intricate inner self. And communicating that is, first of all, one of the reasons that makes being in a relationship so terrifying.
1: But also,
0: <laughs> it's it is, it is it's difficult. Like, how do words? It's, it's hard. And I think when I originally was thinking about talking about this, I almost wanted to phrase it as Lovelace hiding behind that kind of language. But I don't think that's what it is. I think a lot of it is almost propping herself up on not not maybe not propping herself up supporting herself with that language and especially when it comes to things that are more empowering like the ideas of a knight in shining armor and how you can be that for yourself and and stuff like that as cliche as it can sound and i and i and to be clear i do not i kind of disagree with the with the idea that cliche is a synonym for bad and i kind of always have it it was interesting to me to see that manifest so explicitly that it was like, oh, this is the language I'm using to talk about myself because that is um, what I can understand and what you can understand and we are all together.
1: Yeah. And I think that is kind of tied to not a system of thought about literary criticism that I particularly enjoy, but it is very Joseph campbell
0: Hero with a thousand faces.
1: Yeah, and Carl Jung, mm-hmm. which does talk a lot about archetypes and how they're supposed to be like this sort of underlying symbolic er memory that sort of we all have. <laughs> and I don't know if I agree with that, but I feel like in a weird way because that literary criticism movement was so popular for so long. That it kind of infected writers and it keeps getting passed down. So it was like a (laughs) self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: I think that's real. I think that's totally real.
1: It's also very Mm Western-focused. So, like, of course, like, cultures who have been in close conversation with each other for hundreds of years are going to have, you know, similar stories, probably. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I've been reading some... Like east asian fairy tale retellings of, of like their own fairy tales and i'm like these are not like anything that we have that literary criticism school is very couched in the west so i i just want to note that and mention it and then also immediately dismiss it
0: <laughs> <laughs> as we do here as is the way but for real, though, I think couching that is is pretty fair because it is something that has become a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy. And I'll be real; I kind of enjoy it in in the way that I I, I will read any fairy tale YA retelling you throw at me. I will yeah I'm garbage here for that shit up. I am into it. Yeah, the whole idea that there is some like universal memory that we all share and that's why we communicate in this way that's kind of bullshit. Yeah. Except for now, as you say, it has infected so many things. Like, right. our our ideas of what those words mean came from people who really thought that was a real thing.
1: And I would argue that it's not. Yeah, I, I agree. And there are some storytelling traditions that don't have the the central conflict that's so typical uh, in the storytelling that we're familiar with. It does sort of like a weird perspective flip. It, there's no central conflict. Mm-hmm. So that is an interesting thing. Like so even so I would say storytelling is universal. Yeah. But to what extent that looks like or how it feels or or what that does? I mean, it's pretty varied. So, I mean, I enjoy that about storytelling. But I think storytelling is universal. Stories themselves maybe not.
0: Yeah, I I think that is that's a good caveat to that to that school of criticism because maybe the act of storytelling is universal, but how those acts are made manifest is not. And that is a good thing. Variety is a good thing. We've talked a lot about like what
1: this poetry collection is or isn't mm-hmm. and what people are trying to find in poetry. Do you want to talk about maybe what we personally are looking for in poetry to try and get a handle on that slippery what is it and what makes it a good question. Yeah, I think, I think I'm think i game for that.
0: Do you want to go first?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I will make an attempt. So I've been really thinking about this and turning this over in my head over the past couple of days because we've both finished the reading early because mm-hmm. we're not on a set schedule. It's great. And, like, I want the words – to do something. Like, I want there to be a trick. I want to be... I want It's like a magic trick, right? Mm-hmm. I want something to happen between the beginning and the end of the poem that surprises me. I think is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a surprise. I'm looking for a punch in the gut. And I think I do want to feel seen, but not in the same way that I feel seen <laughs> by the... By the poems in in The Princess Saves Herself in this one. And I have an example to compare. Because we're going to do some comparative literature oh, yes. today. Oh, Okay, so one of my most favorite recent poems is Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. Mm-hmm. And why I picked this one is because one is one of my favorite poems. So you get an idea of what I'm looking for in a poem. And also because thematically it's very similar to what's going on in this collection. So... Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of it. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. And there's another half to that poem, but, I mean, that's not thematically dissimilar from what Lovelace is doing, right? Right? Yeah. It's saying that that you are your own person. You don't have to meet up. You don't have to live up to these societal expectations. You don't have to be good. You just have to be yourself. Like you have intrinsic value. But I think there's something about the line, "Let the soft animal of your body love what it loves." That is f- like that's the gut punch, right? Yeah. Like that is what I'm looking for. That that's somehow not there and for me, in some of Lovelace's poems. So I think that's sort of how I'm summing it up, is like something happened to me when I read that line. Like something was so true. It's sort of like a a, a tuning fork, right? It hit the right frequency.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. that. That's how I'm kind of summing it up. So I read two poetry collections last year, Autopsy by Dante Collins and Eye Level by Ginny Z, X-I-E. And I would say the other two, Autopsy, was definitely my favorite. I think there's something that was just very austere. Not simple, austere in the eye level collection. Which I thought was interesting to mention because this collection is simple and there's not a lot of words. But the other collection didn't have a lot of words and didn't feel simple. So there's some sleight of hand going on there that I don't understand. And now that I have rambled for significantly <laughs> longer than planned, Rachel, what about you?
0: <sighs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to be honest. I, I I do not consider myself a connoisseur of poetry. That is not my subject. So I I guess when I think about what I want, what I look for, I'm gonna out myself as the dramatic goth that I am on the inside. Which you already know, but our listeners may not. I just, I fall back to Edgar Allan Poe all the time, uh, who I argued once in college was the reason American literature wasn't becoming an oxymoron when America (laughs) was actually a thing. I think what really drew me to his poetry in particular, there's a lot of poets that do this, like this is a cornerstone of poetry, but like the whole idea of making something... Stand for something else in a way that is just obtuse enough to be engaging without being off-putting or really um almost disruptive and being like, oh, well, what the fuck does that mean? Like, literally, you could not rile me quicker than to be, like, a a person who's, like, it's just a fucking bird when you talk about the raven. It's not a bird. It's not just <laughs> a bird. And I think that's part of the reason I really like a grown poet. One of the reasons I still study Shakespeare is that there's, there's so much you can do with language to make it mean so many different things. And I love when people really get in on that kind of wordplay in poetry like i think there is something to be said for being like really harsh and really straightforward depending on the subject i think that can work out really well but i i i think i like poetry that plays and stuff that that uses language to its fullest effect i cannot verbalize it more uh detailed than that but but i i think that's part of the reason i almost almost before i before i found the underpinnings i <laughs> um, sympathized with people who disliked this collection because it was simple quote unquote yeah in the in the sense that it's it is pretty straightforward like it uses the archetypal language it uses symbols and all that all that stuff you don't really have to think too deeply about it and i think i'm one of those people i i i don't read a lot of poetry but when i do want to read stuff i want to like i want something that's digestible I want something that I can kind of pick through. And maybe that's from my years and years of symbol hunting training as an English major. But we... <laughs> probably, to be honest. But but I, I, I also agree with you that I, I look for... I just watched the movie The Prestige. And I can only think of describing it like that. I'm looking for, like, the third act about turn, Where you're like, it was yeah. really this all along. And this was the emotion. Like, that gut punch. The example, it's not poetry, but the example I, I can think of is the ocean at, at, at the end of the lane. Mm-hmm. You don't pass or fail at being a person. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that, that big overarching sentiment like that in every, in every piece. I think that would be a bit daunting. The way you can affect people with that kind of language M- manipulation is always something that has really fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's it's one of the reasons i keep going back to who i go back to i i need to broaden my poetical horizons though <laughs> this is my problem and if i i try so hard i was i was that snobby ass bitch for so long and now i've like seen the light and the error of my prescriptivist ways and i need i need to broaden my horizons
1: I'll also just add as as a little footnote that I like when the words taste good. And if yes. you don't know what I'm talking about, I can't, I'm not going to explain it, but like just the way they feel in your
0: mouth when you say them is good. <laughs> yes, I like that. I like when, this can be in a bad dissociative way, but it, when it makes your brain feel like fuzzy. Yeah. When it makes you have the, the, the brain cottony feelings. Yeah. Where you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's the spot. <laughs>
1: Oh, and I will say, I think this kind of leads into a good next point, and maybe a good wrap up because we're we're getting there. But I think we should talk a little bit about how poetry is on the rise; like more people are reading mm-hmm. poetry. Mm-hmm. I'd also put it down to collections like Milk and Honey and The Princess Saves Herself in this one because oh, sure. they're accessible. And I think, too, there's a history of if art is accessible, then it's not good. it's not art anymore like art has yeah. to has to be hard to understand or hard to actually obtain like only rich people could get stuff painted and only rich people can go to the theater. That's still true uh <laughs> that is still true
0: yeah, that's a whole that's a whole episode. My feelings on the state of American American theater.
1: Better huh. <laughs> batten on the hatches for that one, robots. But, <laughs> but these collections are imminently accessible the way that Impressionism was accessible and therefore devalued when it was originally a thing. When it first came out, mm-hmm. people were like, what is this? You're just painting everyday stuff? Like, what is, why? Like, that's not what art is. And it's all smudgy. <laughs>
0: like what is this why are you doing this there's no purpose here it's not real and we're having that conversation today even though like you said more people are reading poetry i see more poetry collections than anything else and anymore and 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 that's like more people making and enjoying art is a good thing yeah i don't i don't understand the need to assign a value
1: judgment to every single shift in american culture and art like it Mm -hmm. is neither here nor nor there it is just a thing that is happening
0: exactly the rise
1: of podcasting is neither good nor bad it is just a thing that is happening so yeah us being on our phones all the time i don't even know that that's good or bad that is a thing that is just happening and, I mean, you can you can argue either way. And I think at some point you do have to assign a value judgment, but I don't think it's at the level that we're currently trying to do it. Yeah. Like, there, there are pros and cons and good and bad to each of the developments, but it's not necessarily, like, you know... And And I hate this... Can I tell you the one thing that I hate more than anything? I just yes. hate it. It's this human this is human tendency to assume that because one thing is growing in popularity that it means that all other like things of that kind are therefore dying or less valued as a
0: result yes and i just i hate it so much yeah because it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense it is literal apples to oranges yeah and that is the crux of a lot of people's arguments so like Oh, real authentic poetry is dying because of insta poetry. And I'm like I'm like, it's not a competition. Yeah. You clearly think it is. Mm-hmm. But it's not.
1: Yeah. I mean we made Instagram up, but we also made up the idea of authenticity. So Yes. We also we made up <laughs> sonnets.
0: Why is a sonnet written the way it is? Because people decided that's what you should do. Yeah. That's it.
1: Oh. <sighs> Got any final thoughts, Rachel? <laughs>
0: uh, I think My final thoughts on this is though it is, it is but folly to try to ascribe some sort of reality or legitimacy to any kind of art, like to say what real art is. I think ultimately what art does is it makes people have reactions. And this book does that. Whether that is what Amanda Lovelace intended or not, you know, we don't care here. It is something that, has contributed to an ongoing cultural conversation. I think it's important for us all to remember that as much as I truly believe Roland Barthes will one day rise from the grave and lock J.K. Rowling out of her Twitter account, (laughs) it is important to remember that everybody in this conversation, authors, readers, even people who really harp on things for no reason other than internalized misogyny. They're all people. Everyone is a person, and we're all just trying our best out here. And, and even though this book was not my cup of tea, I was not the reader for it, it takes a hell of a lot of bravery and hutspa to write down some of the shit that she talks about in any way. And then to not only publish it yourself, but to go through the process of getting it published by a publisher, that is, is—is regardless of content, regardless of what I personally think about, about the poetry itself, that is impressive.
1: Okay, robots, that is all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the princess saves herself in this one by amanda lovelace we are happy to be out here with you screaming at strangers on the internet (laughs) thank you for humoring us as always i'm very excited to announce that i will be going on vacation so Um, (laughs) so rachel may or may not do something in the interim no pressure on rachel because she's uh, she's working (laughs) full-time
0: yeah I might, I might. I might do it. I definitely always have things to yell about, uh. so I will definitely be considering it. That
1: solo life is hard, though. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But next time, whenever that may be, uh, thank you for your patience as we try to adapt to uh, our changing lives. It's very <laughs> difficult. We're going to be talking about The Earth Moved, on the remarkable achievements of earthworms by amy stewart so we're gonna do some narrative non-fiction uh some science writing so i'm very pumped for that we haven't done that before mm-hmm. the biology stuff's probably gonna come out
0: i know will, will the biology bachelors jump out
1: it will it'll just <laughs> it, it, you'll just see it it'll jump, it'll jump out of nowhere and just tackle me i to know the ground.
0: <laughs> Like how my senior thesis jumped out in this episode. <laughs> oh, cool, you didn't know that
1: was coming. But yeah, oh. I'm real pumped for that. So I will be gone for two weeks. So you won't probably hear from the both of us again until August. So I, c- but I will be on the road just sitting a lot. So if you want to email or tweet and talk to us that way, that's we do. down. Yeah. So Rachel, do you want to tell them how they can
0: do that? I will tell you how you can do that. The easiest way to get in touch with us is, of course, on, on the Twitters. Um, we're at Remedial Studies. The other ways you can get in touch with us, we're on Instagram, at Remedial Studies. Tumblr, Remedial Studies no, Remedial Studies podcast dot com. And uh, please uh, send us an email. My good friend Claire sent us an email, which was really cool. Uh, she listened to, like, the whole show while I was on vacation and said some very nice things about it. If you would like to be like Claire, we all should, but you can email us at studiespodcast at gmail.com. I think that is all of our socials. Again, thank you guys for your patience as we're being kind of loosey-goosey with it. For a long, long time when we were recording this, I wasn't working. I was doing school, which is still kind of work. But it's different than having to be at a place nine hours a day, so it's uh, gonna be a little freeform for a little bit. But we're still obviously very excited to be making the show. We're gonna be coming up on two years in October. Crazy, yeah. And Crazy. then I got a
1: dog, so that's a you whole other thing.
0: <laughs> you win the life. I don't the, know the life changes. The life changes department, like oh. So,
1: maybe there'll be pictures of my dog for y'all. But since we're loosey goosey, I would encourage you to uh, follow us on social media and subscribe. That way you don't miss anything. And it's very low maintenance for y'all. Yes. And and also rate and I like. I literally just we never say that because we need support in this challenging, challenging time in our lives. So, if you could just do that for us, that'd be fabulous. But yes. I think. Is it time, Rachel?
0: Uh, It's gotta be time. We've been here too long. We're overstaying our welcome. So, until next time, dear robots, you will not see us. We will not see you, but you will hear us next time.
1: Goodbye. Bye, robots.